providing real solutions for real business challenges. Welcome to FNF Unplugged, Season 4. Conversations with professionals across the country, exploring business topics and empowering personal growth in real estate, financial services, and the title insurance industry. Thanks to everyone for joining us here today on another edition of FNF Unplugged. And we're always happy with the guests that we have, but today I have to say I'm especially honored to have our guest as well as pleased. Uh, we have with us today, David Stevens. And Dave is the CEO of Mountain Lake Consulting. But prior to that, he was the president and CEO of the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. Prior to that, he served as the federal housing commissioner in the Obama administration. He also, prior to that, was the president and COO of the Long and Foster Companies uh, on the East Coast. He was the executive vice president of National Wholesale Manager for Wells Fargo. He was a senior vice president in charge of single family lending at Freddie Mac and started at World Savings. And for those of us who were in the business at that time, World was a very big company. So I'm sure with that introduction, we will have listeners who will think, well, Dave doesn't seem to be able to hold a job. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but all that being said, Dave, thanks again for being here. Great to be with you, Chuck. Thanks. Just to start things off, and uh, we always ask this question of our guests and say, I've known you from back in the days when we used to go to Respro meetings uh, when you were at Long and Foster and uh, you were the uh, executive, chief executive officer there at Respro and our chairman, I guess, is the title. All that uh, being said, in the years I've known you, how did you get into this business? Because I doubt that when your kindergarten teacher asked you what you wanted to do when you grew up, that you answered, well, I want to be the federal housing commissioner. Yeah, well, like a lot of us, this isn't a career that most of us picked, I don't think. I fell into it a little bit by accident. I had graduated from the University of Colorado in Boulder with a degree in political science. And, uh, you know, you graduate and you pick up the newspaper. This is early 80s. There's no Internet. You look for under help wanted political scientist and you realize, why did I choose that major? But in reality, I had always been interested in politics and law and I was seriously thinking about law school at the time, but I needed to make some money. A good friend of mine who uh, was also spent his career in the business, Brad Blackwell, who ended up being a very senior player at Wells Fargo, in his career, he and I had run against each other for student body president in college. So we sort of became friends through that process. And he called me one day and he goes, Dave, you should try to become a loan officer. You could make, this is 1983, you could make $40,000 a year. And I thought $40,000 a year was like an incredible income. I was thinking I'll buy a Jaguar. I mean, that's, that's where we were. <laughs> so anyway, I, I went for it. I became a loan officer for World Savings and um, became a top producer and rose through the ranks very quickly and ultimately ran most of it, got recruited to Freddie Mac from there and off we went. But I, I spent 15 years with World in the beginning of my career. Again, a career really stepped into by accident while I was trying to make some money to go to law school, <laughs> which never <laughs> happened. <laughs> well, it, it turned out okay, it looks like, <laughs> as yes. things went forward. And uh, yes, I remember those days as well. And I think in one of uh, the uh, blogs or posts you put up, you talked about how uh, dealing with 14% mortgage uh, interest rates 
Yeah, the first loan I closed was a sixteen and a half percent VA loan, and the seller had to pay there four points to get that. So, so yeah, when people people wring their hands today, really, um, let me let me tell you how bad things could be. But you know, saying all that, there are few people in the country who have even close to the amount of knowledge and experience you have in the real estate industry, and and obviously your time at Long and Foster and dealing with realty uh, as well as uh, lending, as well as with uh, title and settlement and, and affiliated and ancillary businesses at Long and Foster. So you've pretty much done it all. When you think about when we all started back when mortgage rates were in the teens, where do you think the residential mortgage market is now? And what do you think the rest of the year portends in regard to it? Yeah, it's a great question, Chuck, because I, I think unfortunately much of the industry came into the business following 2008. The industry really, you know, went through a terrible crisis with the housing crisis of 08, the worst recession since the Great Depression. It contracted dramatically and then it regrew. Uh, it was reborn. And from, you know, really 2009 moving forward, it was benefited by all of the federal programs like HARP refinancing and, and things of that sort, first time homebuyer tax credit programs and others. And we started to gain momentum. And then um, and through that process, we had three rounds of quantitative easing by the Federal Reserve under Bernanke. And then suddenly the COVID pandemic hit in 2020. We actually thought rates were going to begin rising. They did start rising in 2018. We thought this might be the end. COVID hits, all that uncertainty scares the Fed enough to double down and do the biggest round of QE that we've ever seen in the history of this country, driving rates down to the twos. And, you know, people made a lot of money during that period. We had the two biggest back-to-back -back mortgage years in American history, over $4 trillion each year. The only year close to that was 2003 at about $3.9 trillion. Uh, so these were the two biggest years ever seen. And it mushroomed the entire industry. We created more loan officers, more underwriters, more processors, more title reps. Uh, we needed more people for settlements. We needed more people to do it all. And... Unfortunately, this is a bit of a supply and demand industry. The demand was there, so we needed to supply it with more personnel, with human talent. And suddenly, that's over. The Fed realizes that they uh, overstimulated the economy through the CARES Act, which was a legislative event, and then the, the Fed actions. Inf hyperinflation hits, and suddenly we begin tightening. And so we've been in this period of quantitative tightening. The, the part that worries me is... Doesn't worry me, but I think what, what a lot of people are living with right now is they just don't have a long history, a long enough history to understand what real cycles are about. Like you and I know cycles. We came in during really the oil patch crisis, frankly, and then we had the savings and loan crisis right on its back. And that was how we began our career, kind of going through that environment. But here's what I think is going to happen. I think the Fed is, we might, after the most recent CPI report, I think we might have one more increase out of the Fed. And I don't want to say it's the last one. I think it'll be the last one, depending on what Saudi Arabia does with oil prices. I'm a little worried about how that could impact inflation if they continue to reduce the outflow. But let's keep that to the side. Assuming we stay in a more normalized environment where the Fed finishes QT, Rates are going to come down. The MBA forecasts that 30-year fixed rates by the end of this year will be at 5.4. And Mike Frattantoni, their chief economist, who's a really brilliant economist, PhD from Johns Hopkins, he thinks there'll be at least two rounds of Fed easing, uh, lowering rates next year. 
putting rates down into the mid fours. And so while we'll never get back to the two to 3% range, we are going to see spreads normalize. And today, spreads are just not normal in rates. I won't go down that rabbit hole with you, but 30-year mortgages are just way wide over the 10-year. And if you normalize to a regular spread today, they would be down about 100 basis points. So all in all, this is going to be very good, I think, for our industry because we're going through this right-sizing right now. Companies are leaving the business. We heard about uh, HomePoint, which announced uh, made their announcement just in the last recent period, and so many others, banks and non-bank alike, which have shed whole channels of mortgage lending, um, merged or sold. I mean, this is this is what had to happen. It's painful to people, but we had to get back to a more balanced supply of personnel covering all aspects of the business to manage a reduced demand. But we also have facing us really great demographics for demand going forward. We will be in a very favorable interest rate environment, I think, over the next few years, relative to historical rates, not relative to 2020 and 2021, but relative to historical rates, we'll, we'll be near historic lows. And we'll be back to a period where the really big challenge is supply of real estate. We won't have enough properties for sale on the marketplace. And that's a bigger challenge that we'll be facing long-term. But if I were in the business today and I'm a survivor, I'd be looking at the rear view mirror and say, man, that's going to be in the distance here. And by the end of the year, things are going to start looking better. Next year, we'll even look better than this year. And the year after that, I think we'll be better than next year. So I think we're in for a modest growth. Nothing like will ever be repeated like it was that 2020 and 2021 period. So get that out of your heads. You're not going to have be shooting ducks in a barrel, as it were, where uh, the business is much easier to get, but it will be a much more normalized market. That is a great message to hear because I think there's so much hand-wringing going on right now because we are in this trough, for lack of a better term, to my mind. Right. And uh, one thing I'll ask you here too, just as to a sense of it, a lot of analysts have talked about that, uh, and, and in keeping really with some of your comments, that we might see a reduction by as much as a third as to the number of loan originating companies by the end of this year from those that were in existence on New Year's Day till those who were in, in existence on New Year's Eve this year. Do you think that number is realistic? And for that matter, I mean, in keeping with what you're discussing, that that perhaps it might even be healthy to see that kind of a reduction or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and Chuck, it's a dangerous thing to say it's healthy. It gets people angry because they have friends who have lost their jobs. Maybe some people listening to this lost their job. So healthy, I think it was a necessary outcome to the massive contraction. I mean, we're going to do about $1.6 trillion in mortgage originations this year, maybe $1.5 trillion when it's all said and done, compared to a little over $4 trillion in 2021. You can't contract at that level and not expect a counter contraction in just the number of personnel supporting this industry. The estimates are that we will reduce the headcount, the number of employees in the mortgage sector by about 30% from peak to trough in order to get right-sized. Whether it's 30% of companies, I think that's yet to be seen because um, we have a lot of brokers who have grown actually in the last few years. Brokers are have less overhead. They operate, you know, typically with only a few employees, and they probably can withstand the contraction as long as the primary originator there is getting a, a few loans to keep it going. 
We do have big banks, et cetera, that have just shut down whole channels. I mean, Flagstar did it very publicly. Wells Fargo made some very public announcements along those lines. And so that's clear. And we've had some significant mergers and some significant closures. And I'm not going to name company names, but you can you read those yourselves in the mortgage uh, trades. But I think it's going to be more along those lines. I think in order for us to get to a healthy equilibrium where we have a sustainable workforce to support a mortgage market of between $1.6 to $2 trillion over the next few years, we will need at least a 30% reduction in total headcount. And I think that's where we'll ultimately end up. Uh, we're not there yet, by the way, but I think we'll ultimately end up there. In keeping with that comment, too, and, and thoughts about it, uh, MBA just uh, discussed that uh, the cost to originate a loan has reached an all-time yeah. high with $12,400 in round numbers, which is up yeah. what $5,000 over what it was two years ago. And it actually, that companies on average take a loss in the pure origination yeah. of a loan. What are your thoughts on that? Do you, th- do you think that trend is going to continue? Do you think it's going to improve? Uh, how do you think that's going to roll? You know, MBA, and as you know, I ran the MBA, and the guys who published this stuff worked for me there. <laughs> and I know a lot of the focus is on the regulatory burden we're all facing. And if you're an originator, I know many of you are in the title uh, or settlement services side, but if you're an originator in the market today, you have to have more quality control folks, more compliance people than you ever had to have in your past. And in fact, a big concern right now are GSE putbacks. I'm not sure if any of you have heard about it, but Freddie started first uh, and they increased their sampling rate of, of loans every month uh, that they sample from low single digits to 10%. And that's causing a lot more putbacks. It's got a lot of lenders concerned. It's caused uh, creating a lot of staff time and people are having to actually hire up in those areas to fight those battles with the GSEs. And Fannie just recently began their new quality control, enhanced quality control process. So those things are real. Those do add costs to the process. But I think the majority of this increase is that the industry contracted faster than we contracted the personnel. And so if an underwriter could underwrite X number of loans per month, you drop the business off by 40 something percent, 50 percent, or maybe 60 percent where we're at right now compared to the peak. And your underwriter is doing that much less production it makes their salary costs, the fixed costs of originating the loan, remain the same. However, they're doing less in terms of productivity. So the cost per unit end up going up pretty significantly because you have to spread that cost over fewer transactions. But I think as we get through the next 12 months-ish and we complete this right-sizing process, I think companies will get to the point where they have the right staffing support levels that will bring down at least moderately that cost per loan. It will remain elevated, no question over where we were pre-Dodd-Frank. We just need more staff to manage risk in a mortgage company today than we needed to over the past decades. And so you won't bring it back dramatically, but I think the high that you saw the MBA just report, I think is really a reflection of an industry that has yet to right size and so they have to spread those fixed costs over what little business they're doing. And that just raises the cost per unit. What are your thoughts? Uh, and I'll say this because we had Camelia Martin from SnapDocs on the podcast. And Camelia was talking about, uh, and you know, the term digital closing, which of course means different things to different people, depending on the day of the week and who you talk to. Mm-hmm. But 
to you know to create that uh, transaction where you're using e-notes, you're going into an e-vault where you really do have a genuine digital electronic closing, a no paper circumstance. And she talked about some of the cost savings that work into play there, especially if title and settlement providers are able to provide those types of services to their lenders. What are your thoughts on that? And and technology, um, years ago, uh, I know, you know, Joe Murin, and I was on a webcast with Joe, and Joe said, well, you know the thing about mortgage companies, and they say they're going to spend X million dollars in technology. He said, almost none of it's on operations. <laughs> he said, it's almost all on marketing and, and sales. And he said, that's where we really need is help is operations. But what are your thoughts about that? And is that something that's going to help drive down that cost? And are lenders going to look for title and settlement providers who can provide that sort of enabled service? You know, it's an interesting topic because we are an industry across all sectors from loan origination to the whole funding process to settlement service providers to appraisal, you name it. We really haven't been Ubered or Amazon yet as a business. We're still pretty antiquated from a technology standpoint and we've made vast improvements, but it's still a very people intensive business. And, um, you know, could technology improve that? Yes, it could dramatically. I mean, in the end of the day, uh, what we have to think about is what's the generational aptitude for using technology to manage your most complicated transactions? And I think, you know, baby boomers, less so, Gen Xers a little bit, millennials far more. And as younger people, you know, get into the home buying process, the need to get a mortgage to an individual loan officer becomes a question. It's, unless you're going to have some product complexity like you and I had, Chuck, back when we started with all sorts of variable rate mortgage products and all these unique features of caps and annual adjustments or a part uh, all the way they all operated differently, you needed something to explain that to you. Today, it's you want a 30 or a 15? Do you need a buy down? It's all pretty basic. And so some diversity with some ARM products, but not a lot. And so in the end of the day, could you get the mortgage online without having to go through an individual loan officer? Obviously, Rocket has made that bet. We'll see how all that plays out over time. Not them alone, others have as well. But same in settlement service providers, which is if you could do a fully electronic settlement, is the home buyer or home refinancer ready for that? And I think it's mixed, frankly. I think the aptitude for adopting that technology is different. I think the need to understand all of those settlement documents that are now required under TRID to be able to understand what you're getting and have it explained to you might require more than simply getting an email and say, read this and sign here, especially if you want to get better disclosure and full transparency to consumers. But without question, I mean, I've closed loans without attending a settlement and done it through FedEx packages or whatever it may be. We do know that there's unfortunately massive disparities nationally, particularly in more rural counties and communities where counter recorders and sometimes law doesn't allow or permit electronic settlements. But look, in the end of the day, it's just a matter of time in my view. I don't know what your view is, Chuck. I'm sure you have your own opinion, but I think it's just a matter of time before we truly do get to the point where technology reaches certain tipping points that reduce the requirement for human intervention. 
Fannie and Freddie just rolled out two AVMs pilots that are now uh, far more advanced with partners on them that you know can use sort of an Uber approach where they get people to drive by and take pictures of the property. They have uh, geofencing to make sure the pictures are accurate. The whole process of being able to do an automated appraisal without actually needing an actual real trained appraiser to go into that property is changing. And I think that will happen at the title level, settlement services level, loan origination level, appraisal level, and it will only increase as time moves on. That being said, there'll always be someone who wants to meet with that person and wants to be walked through the process and just doesn't feel comfortable. And that I think will be a generational thing that will see that layer subside as aging is replaced with younger and newer generations of home buyers. What you're saying, it brings in my ears, uh, Brad Inman always talks about on the realty side, you know, the varieties of experience. And it's like, you know, if you want to have that same historic experience of riding around with your real estate agent and their Cadillac and looking at 16 houses, and then of course, putting a bid on, on the first house you actually saw, you can do that. Or you can have a mix. You can do it uh, partially online, but then you also have a person who helps you. Or you can do it all through technology and really never even lay eyes on the real estate agent that comes into play. And what you're saying, it seems to me that that variety of experience in regard to uh, loan settlement, home buying, it all comes into play. And everybody has to be sort of ready to do whatever direction they need to go. That's an interesting example you use. There's a huge class action lawsuit, a couple of them, against the realtors uh, and the big real estate companies about what they view as sort of a fixed game that forces a 6% commission and forces you to use a buyer's agent. We all have full-time jobs. The average American doesn't can use the internet all they want, but the internet's going to present the rosiest picture of any property that's listed for sale. It won't differentiate whether it's on a slope where there's a railroad track right behind it or all those variables that you need to see. And I think it's literally impossible for a consumer who has a full-time job to be able to go pull a bunch of listings, then contact each individual realtor that has that home listed for sale, set up a whole schedule of viewings and do that all while they're trying to live their life, pay their bills, pick up their kids from school and go to work. And so I think to some degree, there are friction points in an industry. Friction is a word we use in capital markets, which is the more friction you have, the more margin you tend to make in a product. So technology will take away a lot of friction. It'll also reduce margins and it will reduce the requirement for personal intervention. I still wonder in the home purchase world, you can search for all the homes you want on the internet. Eventually you're going to want, like, I think, one person to say, okay, I know what you're looking for. I know the communities you want to live in. I know what your value restrictions are. Let me pull a whole series of possibilities for you. I'll send them to you. Look at them. If you want me to set them all up for uh, screenings, we'll do it on Saturday. And then you got someone doing the work for you. And so there's a balance there, right? And I think some parts of our industry are more opportune to being, to getting more efficiencies through technology and eliminating a lot of friction. And I think others, maybe it's going to be slower because of the example I just used. We'll just have to see how this plays out. And just what you're saying, uh, you know, in my life, my uh, older son, when he went to buy his first house and I 
recommended someone who I've known for years, who an excellent first time home buyer, a real estate agent, uh, I've known her for 30 years and she assisted him. And I asked him, it's like, well, cause of course he was online. He's looking at Zillow. He's looking at all the sources. He's looking at all these houses, buying a house in the spring. And I said, well, yeah, look at the pictures. What year did they take these pictures? You know, it's like if, you know, if it's, if you're buying a house in June and the pictures show snow in the yard, you know, it's been a while since this house has been listed. But he said, too, he said, yeah, when I talked to uh, the agent you referred me to, there were three houses I was interested in. And her first reaction is that first house you mentioned, you don't want to go there. She said, because those pictures look nothing like that house when you actually get there. Yeah. So that consultative uh, capability that uh, yes. real estate agents bring is, I think, just so significant. And, and our statistics keep showing that people want to work with real estate agents. They don't want to do yeah. this by themselves, just as you've said. Right. Chuck's conversation with Dave Stevens continues in part two as they discuss the impact of artificial intelligence on the industry as well as affordability and the housing shortage. If you have questions, comments, or would like us to feature a specific topic, email fnfeducation at fnf.com. Thanks for downloading FNF Unplugged, a presentation of the FNF family of companies. All rights reserved. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or any endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent, including Fidelity National Financial or its directors. Please seek legal or financial advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed in this podcast.